0: If you would, turn in your Bibles to John 14, 6. John chapter 14, verse 6. There's a a profound truth found in a a very familiar passage of Scripture. Uh, these These words from Jesus are recorded the night before His crucifixion. You're very familiar with them. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father Except through me. In this context, in this verse, Jesus is trying to tell his disciples that he is going to leave them. He's tried to tell them this before, but they they simply don't have ears to hear. The thought of a of a crucified Messiah is too much for them to bear. And so in this chapter, Jesus is assuring them, he's assuring assuring his disciples that although he must go. He is leaving to prepare a place for them, a place with many rooms and a place where eventually they will be reunited with him. And so look at John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also and you know the way to where I am going now Thomas poses a question in the next verse and it's that question that Jesus answers with I am the way the truth and the life and the question is this verse 5 Thomas said to him Lord we do not know where you are going how can we know the way This question strikes me and and it makes me wonder, what kind of emotions are behind this kind of question? What would Thomas have been thinking? What what kind of emotions were filling his mind? Well, at the very least, certainly a, a sense of wonder, maybe a curiosity that Thomas might have. At the worst, confusion, uncertainty, maybe even a sense of abandonment from Jesus? Jesus has not been unclear, yet his his plans are beyond their comprehension. Thomas is trying to make sense of a world without a physical Jesus. He's trying to get his head around a life without a leader. How can we know the way, he says. And so Jesus answers with, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father, except through me. And so these words are designed to bring clarity and comfort to the hearer. Thomas, you might not understand my plans. You might think you have lost your way, but hear this. I am the way and the truth and the life. You will find assurance, even certainty, Thomas, as you hold fast to me, the author of all truth. Now, what would Jesus mean, or what does it mean to say, I am the truth? What does that mean? Well, it certainly reminds us that all of Jesus' words are utterly reliable. I mean, that's for sure. Sure. And there's a lot of words recorded from Jesus in the Gospel of John. I don't know if you have maybe a red-letter Bible, but there's a section here, if you just glance around in the area you're in, and you notice there's a lot of red letters. <laughs> there's a lot of words from Jesus. And of course, not, the, not just the words of Jesus are, are we can be certain about. We know that all Scripture is breathed of God. and So everything you have in front of you is reliable, for sure. But here, the focus is on Jesus' words, and so... We know at the very least, for Jesus to say that he is the truth means that what he says is reliable. What does it mean? What more does it mean for Jesus to say that I am the truth? Well, it means that he personifies the supreme revelation of God. I am the truth, Jesus says. John tells us earlier in his gospel that it was Jesus who... Made the Father known. We remember that verse. It's in chapter 1, verse 18. You might say it was Jesus who led the Father out for all to see. John makes the point early in the gospel that God is a spirit. He's invisible. Nobody can see the Father. And so it's in the person of Jesus that that God is, you might say, narrated to us. He's on display for us. If we want to know what the Father looks like, If that's a question in our minds, well, we look no further than the person of Jesus because it's Him who led the Father out for us. He put Him in front of us. He demonstrates who God is. He made Him visible. And Jesus can do this because He is God's gracious self-disclosure. He is the Word made flesh. It means that His whole manner of life expresses what is true. Jesus is claiming to be more than a truth teller, although he is that. He is more than a truth teller. He is saying that he is the very reality of God. He is the very reality of God. He is the originator. He is the architect. He is the author of all truth, which means only way to God, which is Jesus' point. No one comes to the Father except through me. I like this little poem from D.A. Carson. He writes, In timeless reaches of eternity, the triune God decided that the word, the self-expression of the deity, would put on flesh and blood and thus be heard. The claim to speak the truth, good men applaud. I claim much more, I am the truth of God. Claiming to be more than a truth teller. He is claiming to be the very truth of God. And so this is why he can make the statement that no one comes to the Father except through him. You and I need to hold fast to the truth because Jesus Christ is the author of all truth. And let me give you another picture here. We need to hold fast to the truth because he is the reason for our liberty. If you would, in your Bible, turn to the left, John chapter 8. Look at another picture here. The events of John chapter 8 happened toward the end of Jesus' ministry. By this time, Jesus' controversy with the Jews had been brewing for three years. In fact, things got so difficult for him that he, he actually left Jerusalem and went into Galilee and ministered there for some time. And he eventually returned to Jerusalem, and here in John chapter 8, he has returned to, to Jerusalem and it's a it's a holiday season you might say it's a festival the festival of or the feast of tabernacles or the feast of booths and uh, this is an interesting festival because during this time the nation of Israel lived outside you guys know this they lived outside and they lived in tents hence the festival of booths and they did that to celebrate god's provision for them uh, during the 40 years that they wandered in the wilderness, and so for a whole week they would live outside. It was considered a working holiday, so they would do the harvest, and then they would come back and stay in their their tents. and And you can imagine this this season would have been one in which uh, lots of people were around. They had these great menorahs at the temple. There were four of them. Uh, there were ceremonies that happened in the, at the at the temple, and so lots of people were outside. It would have been, in fact, a very good time for Jesus to return to Jerusalem and call for the nation, call for Israel, call for their allegiance. It would have been a great time to do that. And so uh, that's what Jesus is doing here in John chapter 8. And of course, he is in another dispute with the scribes and Pharisees. And so parachute into John chapter 8. Jesus is standing in the temple area. He's been teaching there and he's attracted the crowds and he's in the middle of a dispute, another dispute with the religious leaders. And so let's just pick it up in John chapter 8 verse 25. As they said, so they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Many of the Jews actually believed in Jesus because of these words. Verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus says there that abiding in his word means we are truly his disciples. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. It also means that that we will know the truth and that knowledge of the truth will set us free. And so he says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Here's a question. Set us free from what? (laughs) What does the truth set us free from? Does the truth set us free from Caesar? Does it liberate us from the lies of an oppressor? Does it rescue us from an evil administration? Maybe a megalomaniac. Does it do that? That seems to be what the Jews thought Jesus meant in verse 33. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? I take this as a pretty prideful statement from the Jews. They, they were pretty much under Roman control at this point. And so, you know, they didn't see themselves as enslaved to Rome, uh, but they pretty much were. <laughs> but, you know, thinking that they could follow their law and they could follow what God had commanded them to do, they didn't see themselves as being enslaved to the Roman Empire. But you see, Jesus isn't concerned with that at all. Jesus is not concerned with enslavement to a political or economic system. And so his response reveals that in verse 33. Excuse me, verse 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus is saying that true bondage is being a slave to moral failure. That's what Jesus is saying. It's being tied to a life of sin and rebellion. And as Romans 1 says, It's exchanging the truth about God for a lie and worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator. That's what enslavement is, according to Jesus. And the sad news is that it's not just the scribes and the Pharisees that are found in this condi- condition. It's you and me. We were enslaved to sin. Jesus said it this way in John 3:19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And notice this: he says, People, people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. They loved the darkness because their works were evil, which is interesting and means that the problem isn't an intellectual problem. The problem is a deed problem. It's what we do. We, we, that's why the call is to repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ. The people loved the darkness, not because they were convinced that it was a better way, but because they loved their deeds. Their deeds were evil. And so you and I, outside of Christ, we love the darkness. And so in loving the darkness, he also says that the wrath of God abides on us. God's judgment is over our head. It remains on us. That's, of course, the bad news. But Jesus gives us really good news here. He gives us really, really good news. And here's the truth that you and I need to hold fast to. And it it goes like this. The slave doesn't remain in the house forever. That's the good news. That the slave doesn't remain in the house forever. In, In the Jewish context, every seventh year, the slave left. The slave has no rights. The slave has no permanent place in the house. He leaves. But who stays? And who has a permanent place in the house? Who remains? The Son. The Son remains forever. It is the Son who remains forever. It is Jesus alone who enjoys inalienable rights as the one and only Son of God. It is Him and Him alone who exercises full authority to set the captives free. To liberate us from the tyranny of sin. That's the truth. In in liberation, in this freedom, uh, when we believe, when we obey, and when we know the truth, it, it includes release from the bondage of Satan's lies, emancipation from condemnation, liberation from judgment. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Freedom from spiritual ignorance. With God's Word and God's Spirit, we can have wisdom. We we have the mind of Christ, you might even say. It includes deliverance from spiritual death. And in this context, in John 8, it includes freedom from sin. Freedom from a life of sin. Now, please understand, there is a misunderstanding when we talk about this kind of liberty as a Christian uh, knowing the truth uh, finding the truth doesn't mean being liberated from our sin doesn't mean that we that we have the freedom to do anything we please that's not at all what jesus is talking about when, when he talks about liberty and and paul addresses that at quite in quite lengthy of a place in romans chapter six And he says to that argument that, well, because we're covered in grace and because we found freedom, that we can just go do whatever we want to do. And what's his response to that? May it never be. May it never be that. No, that's not what liberty means. That's not what freedom is. One commentator said it this way, true freedom is not the liberty to do anything we please, but the liberty to do what we ought It's the freedom to do what we ought to do, what God has called us to do, because previously we couldn't do that, because we were bound, we were chained to our sin. Paul says, and having been set free from sin, we have become slaves of righteousness. And so now we're slaves to righteousness. Now we're able to do what pleases God. The liberty we find in knowing the truth moves us from the only able to sin category, Before we knew Christ, we were only able to sin. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We're only able to sin. And it moves us from that category to a new category, the category of able to not sin. Now we are actually able to not sin. We are actually able to do what pleases God because we have been set free. You and I can do what we ought. We can say no to the old man And yes to the new man. That's the truth. Therefore, the second picture reminds us that we are dead to sin and we are alive to God. The son remains in the house forever. You have been set free. If you see the words of Jesus as truth, then you've been set free from the bondage of sin. Therefore, To use the language of Paul again, consider yourselves, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You and I need to hold fast to the source of all truth, Jesus Christ, because, well, He's the author of all truth, because He is the reason for our liberty, and finally, because He is the origin of salvation. He is the origin of salvation. Turn to John 18. Here we find another familiar passage, another picture. Jesus, after appearing before Annas and Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin and Herod, he had been moved around a lot during his trial, he finally stands before Pilate. Pontius Pilate was the Roman governor over Judea in Jesus' day as the, as the governor or procurator. I have a hard time with that word. Procurator. He was the personal servant of the emperor. In this position, he possessed civil, military, and criminal jurisdiction. This means it was Pilate, Pontius Pilate, who would have the final authority to sentence Jesus to his death. Matthew, Mark, and Luke give us an abbreviated account of this uh, of Jesus appearing before Pilate, but John gives us a little bit more details. And so, look down at John chapter 18, verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, "Are you the King of the Jews?" Jesus answered, "Do you say this of your own accord?" Or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I may not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king? For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Something very intriguing about the way Jesus speaks to Pilate. We know that Pilate is not on the side of the Jews, except that here, as we know, he's forced to take their side. He is forced to take the side of the Jews and Jesus will be crucified. And the reason is because the the only other path is to acknowledge that Jesus is his king. He's trapped. To Pilate's question, verse 33, are you the king of the Jews? We hear Jesus say, Do you say this on your own account, or did others say it to you about me? In so many ways, Jesus is turning this question to Pilate. He's turning it around. Am I your king? And of course, Pilate deflects, am I a Jew? I'm not, you know, I'm not part of this thing. I'm not a Jew. And so Jesus strikes back in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I may not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. He, he's helping Pilate understand that it's not about Jew or Gentile. My kingdom is completely different than this one. My kingdom is not from this world. And the irony is, is dripping in verse 37. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. (laughs) And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. Jesus is saying something like, King is your word, not mine. (laughs) You're the one that said it. Or, you are right in saying that I am a king. Pilate is so close. He's right there. He's all but said it. And so Jesus, at this point, spells out His kingdom. Uh, well, He spells out the nature of His reign. And so He says, back to verse 37, For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into this world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who's, who is of the truth listens to my voice. I think there's an offer of salvation here. I think... I think Jesus is calling Pilate to testify that he is king, that Jesus is king, and which provides him access to his kingdom. There's an offer of salvation. Jesus is saying, I speak the truth, and believing my words means you are a member of my kingdom. Jesus pushed Pilate into a corner. Pilate has a choice. Will he side with the Jews? He's already had a number of run ins with them. He despises them. He distrusts them. Is he going to side with them or is he going to side with Jesus? Even more challenging is that siding with Jesus means acknowledging that he's more than just a Jewish prophet, he's more than a priest, he's a king. And so in a, in, a tra- in a strange twist, the man who's standing trial, you might say the man who's in the dock, <laughs> is calling his judge to be his follower. And so the truth is, is that it's, it's not actually Pilate who's on trial. Excuse me, it's not Jesus who's on trial. It's Pilate who's on trial. Jesus found a way to turn it all around and make it about Pilate. And Pilate's already even said he's a king. What's Pilate going to do with that? Well, you've probably already seen it and you already know it. His response is in 38. Pilate said to him, what is truth? It's a tragic response. Pilate stares in the face of the one who is the author of all truth. The only one who has the power to liberate him from sin. The one who is himself the origin of salvation and he chokes out the words of truth with cynicism. What is truth? So shrugging his shoulders, he delivers Jesus to be crucified. This is our third picture from the life of Jesus that reminds us why we need to hold fast to the source of all truth, Jesus Christ. He is the author of all truth. He is the reason for our liberty. And He is the origin of salvation. I'll add some, some closing thoughts here. A question. What truth claim has gripped your heart this past year? What truth claim has gripped your heart this past year? Maybe maybe you've started to believe that the government can save you, that the election of a certain politician or party can protect you, that if it goes one way, we'll be saved, but if it goes another way, well, we're not going to be spared. Well, hear the words of Jesus, "'My kingdom is not of this world.'" If my kingdom were of this world my servants my servants would have been fighting that I may not be delivered over to the Jews but my kingdom is not from this world These words remind us that as Christians we are not of this world we're pilgrims we're transients we're just passing through our citizenship is not here our citizenship is where in heaven, the flags that we raise are sown with the emblems of a heavenly kingdom, a kingdom ruled by the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Church, if Jesus is the author of truth, then when we come to, fi- when we come to Jesus, we find answers. This means we must measure what we hear We must measure what we hear, and maybe more importantly, we must measure how we feel against the words of Jesus. Have you measured what you've heard against the words spoken to Pilate in 1836? Jesus' words that his kingdom is not of this world. Or maybe the words from Jesus in John 17, 17, 16, they, that is the disciples, us, Christians, are not of this world just as I am not of the world. We have sworn allegiance to a king and a kingdom not of this world. What about how you feel? Have you measured how you feel against the words of Jesus? John 11, verses 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Those are the words of Jesus. John 10, 27 and 28. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. About John six forty. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Eternal life, the promise to never perish, resurrection, the truth that we shall never die. Church, if Jesus is the reason for our liberty, then when we come to Jesus, we find freedom. It's very simple. It means we don't have to keep on sinning. Because the son is in the house. He has a permanent place in the house. Have you found a way to rationalize your sin? It's just who I am. It's my upbringing. Maybe it's my condition. Hear the truth. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And the freedom that Jesus speaks of is freedom from the power of sin and death. If you sit here today as a Christian and you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the power through God, through His Spirit, to, to conquer sin. That's liberating. That's radical truth. You don't have to continue in it. Paul writes, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put it to death. Church, if Jesus is the origin of salvation, then when we come to Jesus, we find salvation. We find a redeemer. We found redemption. Pilate was offered a choice, but he's not the only one that was offered a choice. You and I have been offered a choice. We've been given an offer of salvation. We have heard the news of Jesus, and I pray that we have believed. As believers, we need to be reminded what believing means. It means we we listen to His voice because He speaks the truth. Because truth can be in His voice. You and I need to hold fast to the truth. We need to listen to His voice. Not those voices out there that are claiming to be truth. Only His words are true. Only the words found here are true. If you happen to be listening to my voice and you haven't believed, I'm praying for you now. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. These are the words of Jesus. <clears throat> excuse me. I suppose, <clears throat> excuse me, I suppose I might say something about the fact that we are turning the page on a new year. I'm, glad, I'm guessing that that the new year will only bring more claims of truth. There'll be more and more attempts to convince us of things about our past, our present, and our future. May we free ourselves from whatever truth claim we have aligned ourselves to, and may we bind our hearts, bind our hearts to the source of all truth, Jesus Christ. May you and I hold fast to the truth. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. Lord, we are so thankful that you have not left us without truth. You've given us the truth. Yes, words. Yes, voices. Yes, statements. But you have even given us more than that, and you've given us the person of your Son. He is the embodiment of truth. He is truth itself. He is the only one that can say, "I am the truth," because he is the author of all truth. He has power to liberate us from the sin, from sin, from our sin. He has the power, Lord, to give us access to you. And so I pray, God, that as we embark upon a new year, that these thoughts would fill our minds and fill our hearts, and whatever whatever truth claim that we were attached to in 2020, we might fasten ourselves tightly, grip tightly to these truths in 2021. Lord, help us. We need your help. We know that you can do all of these things and you can do even more than we could ever think or imagine. Of course, it's for your sake and not for ours. And so we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen.